Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Welcome to the Monday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. We have news, and guess what? It does not involve the debt ceiling. Yeah, this is the big curtain raiser here. Now that the, the work is done in Washington, at least on the debt ceiling, we've avoided catastrophe. All eyes turn to the campaign trail. And we do have breaking news, if I can use that term here, as Mike Pence makes it official, dropping the paperwork here. He actually filed it today to run for president. Yes, he is going to run against his former boss, Donald Trump. Having spent a big old weekend with all of the candidates, except Donald Trump, in Iowa. How's the great state of Iowa? Iowa, Iowa. I have been to Iowa. Well, hello, Iowa. Yeah. Excited? Iowa State Fair just a couple months away. With Mike Pence there wearing the leather jacket. Did you see what was a vest technically? You see him in the biker outfit? It was Joni Ernst's Roast and Ride. Fire it up. And an opportunity not only to ride motorcycles and show off your leather wear, but to shake hands and eat lots of junk food. Ron DeSantis here making... They had a little cotton candy for the kids making the uh, How even way around the fairgrounds. And this is what happens here, obviously. This is the big contest. Nikki Haley was there, Senator Tim Scott, Mike Pence. And this is the week that Chris Christie jumps into the race. That's set for tomorrow. And Mike Pence, uh, who spoke at the, uh, the roast and ride, he said he roasted and he rode at the roast and ride. Little did we know he would be dropping paperwork the very next day. Radical left has been assaulting our values and assaulting our families almost as never before. But the great thing I've seen traveling across this country is that the American people, American people are on to it. Just ask Bud Light, Target, and by the way, a message to Major League Baseball Religious bigotry has no place in America's pastime. And now it's official with a, uh, a real formal announcement to happen later this week. Let's get started with a man who's spent a lot of time in Iowa lately, and that is Bloomberg's Mark Niquette, national politics reporter. Mark, uh, your thoughts on this after seeing them all together here? It was almost like the Iowa State Fair a little bit early. How important this state is going to play in disrupting Donald Trump's path? I think the, the ball game is Iowa. Frankly, I mean, it's it's. I think uh, unless Donald Trump uh, is beaten in Iowa or 
has a very close win or loses Iowa, you know, he's on the path to become the nomination. I think if, if a candidate can defeat Trump in Iowa or, again, come really close, that'll be provide some momentum heading into New Hampshire and South Carolina uh, to make it a real race. You know, Donald Trump was not invincible, and there'll, there'll be an actual, um, you know, campaign for the nomination. Mm-hmm. What are these uh, two announcements going to look like this week, Chris Christie and, and then Mike Pence? Well, we expect uh, former Governor uh, Christie to announce at a town hall event in New Hampshire on Tuesday, tomorrow. Um, and the big question with, with Christie is whether it's just a kamikaze candidacy, where right. his sole purpose is to take out Trump, because Christie has been uh, one of the most vocal uh, critics of, of Trump and, and you know, telling Republicans you can't nominate uh, Trump if you want to win. Uh, or if he thinks he, he does have a path to the nomination, it, it doesn't really look like he does, or at least, you know, uh, critics don't think he does, uh, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, and then Mike Pence is going to for- formally announce, he, he filed his paperwork uh, today, yep. but he's going to have a big announcement event uh, in Iowa, and, and he's uh, one of the candidates who will be sort of betting everything on Iowa. He thinks he can appeal to evangelical voters and uh, Iowans as a fellow Midwesterner, and uh, again, if he can, he can do well, have a good showing in Iowa, it's sort of a, a rationale for his candidacy going forward. And, of course, they're going to be spending a lot of time there doing a lot of traveling, I'm sure. Uh, when, and, and Mike Pence, to your point, I mean, enjoying that evangelical base in Iowa, is he going to hear a lot about Donald Trump in, in, in speaking with voters? I suspect uh, that there's going to be a lot of revisiting the past here. Yeah, and, and Pence is trying to um, thread a, a very tough needle here where he's, he's trying to sort of a, a appeal to Trump supporters or uh, the Republicans who, who like the policies of, of the Trump-Pence administration, is, is how mm-hmm. Pence describes it, right. while breaking from the former president on election denialism uh, and, and other things, you know, sort of be the uh, alternative for folks who don't want to uh, renominate Trump. Um, but he's in this position where, you know, he's, he, he's not been able to win over the, the hardcore Trump supporters who haven't forgiven him for betraying, they would say, you know, defying President Right. Trump on January 6th, and he hasn't really, you know, attracted the the Republicans who are looking for an alternative either. He's still polling at less than 4% in the real clear politics average of polls, uh, so he hasn't caught on there. But he sort of falls into that category of, of, you know, candidates who are running to be the Trump alternative if, in fact, that possibility exists. You know, if we find, as we get close to, to voting, that, you know, Trump is vulnerable, he's been indicted several times, whatever, um, that there's there's an open, more open race for the nomination than it appears today. Great. Mark, it's always a pleasure. Nice job on C-SPAN this morning. Mark Niquette, our national politics reporter with us at the top here on the fastest show in politics. I'm glad to say Kyle Kondik joins us, the managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball at the gorgeous University of Virginia Center for Politics. Uh, in, in Kyle, it's great to have you back. We should add two more headlines. Since I got to work this morning, as a matter of fact, Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, says he's not running. And, of course, we also have reports uh, that the governor of North Dakota, uh, Doug Burgum, will join the mix this week. So this will add up to being the busiest week on the campaign trail so far for the Republican primary trail. Uh, are there still more to follow? I mean, hey, if we just maybe talk in a few hours, maybe there'll be a bunch of new developments. Too. I feel like that could be. I will say that this is, we sort of, I think we expected this to be kind of a, kind of a big week. The Sununu, Sununu was sort of 
maybe kind of kicking around the possibility, but you know, the, the, I think CNN broke that news today about uh, 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 Sununu not doing it. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that's surprising or not, but, um, but it is, you know, the field has gotten um, significantly bigger. And, you know, I think the sort of working theory here for the whole time is that Trump basically benefits from there being more candidates because to the extent that there's opposition to Trump and there is within the party, um, Trump is still the leading candidate, both in the state level polls that we look at and also um, the national polls. And, you know, particularly the rules on the Republican side, you know, if you're even like a plurality leader in a lot of these contests, particularly later in the cycle, you in, in, in some cases can win all the delegates or most of the delegates. Um, so things seem to be proceeding pretty well for, you know, for Donald Trump, at least over the past few months. Absolutely. Uh, does that Doug Burgum uh, candidacy sound real to you? I mean, if if the candidates we've already mentioned are struggling with name recognition, how do you get out of the gates? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's a uh, he, you know governor of North Dakota, um, but you know, I certainly is not much of a uh, you know national figure. I mean, like mm -hmm. you know, his his neighbor to the south, Christy Nome, she's certainly certainly a more uh, uh, nationally known uh, political figure. You know, if she had gotten into the race, I think that might have been like a bigger splash. But and I think all these candidates are just sort of hoping that, well, at the very least, maybe they could raise their own name ID, but also that if they don't think DeSantis can do it, and they think Trump, the bottom might fall out for Trump. For one reason or the other, um, then maybe there's some sort of mad dash um, in the second half of this year and into next year, and 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 it becomes this wide open race. Yeah, I I don't necessarily know if that's something we should expect, but that's got to be the theory of the case for a lot of these candidates. With Chris Sununu dropping out, I don't mean to overplay his potential impact on this uh, race. He was in the single digits in in any of the polls that were scooping up his name here. But does that open up? New Hampshire at all uh, for a debut, if you will. It seems like everyone's really focusing their early fire on Iowa here. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of wonder if if folks maybe were waiting for that a little bit. Although, you know, I mean, Iowa was the focus this past weekend, but you know, the candidates have been hitting you know a lot of the a lot of the early states, which unlike on the Democratic side, the the early state slate has remained the same on the uh, on the Republican side. I think it's also yeah. worth no noting that, you know, Sununu in polls of New Hampshire, it's not like he was dominating that state primary. I mean, he was usually, the, you know, he was not he was usually behind DeSantis and, and Trump <laughs> yes. in, in polls, By a long in polls of that state. Um, just like you see in like South Carolina, you, you know, you've got Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, but they're, you know, they're not leading polls in, in, in that state. I mean, it's really for a long time, it's been a two person race, although between DeSantis and Trump, although given Trump's recent leads, you could almost say it's like a one person race and you're waiting to see if something happens with that uh, one person Trump, if he falls off or not. Otherwise this thing, you know, may, may be pretty sleepy in terms of just the, the, the actual contest. Right. Yeah. How about your governor, uh, Kyle, Glenn Youngkin? He was kind of off again, on again, off again. Where are we now? I feel like there's different reporting um, on a fairly regular basis as to whether he's, you know, not going to do it, not going to do it. He, he's been very focused and, you know, raising a lot of money and and, and, and trying to, to fund a, the the uh, a race for the state legislature in Virginia. You know, the, the state Senate is narrowly controlled by Democrats. State House is narrowly controlled by Republicans. Mm -hmm. um, Youngkin wants to control both chambers so that he can uh, um, have a productive uh, back half of his gubernatorial tenure. Um, you know, I think there still seems like there's this possibility that maybe he could get into the race much later. Um, although, you know, by the time you get to the fall, you might start running up against like filing deadlines and that sort of thing. Um, and I also just wonder how much demand there actually would be for him. I mean, it's been interesting that you have these, 
you know, fairly popular, you know, governors of of uh, kind of purple slash blue states like New Hampshire, uh, uh, Larry Hogan, who used to be the governor of Maryland, right. young yeah. kid in Virginia. Um, and, you know, surveys of those states to the extent to ask about the Republican primary, you know, it's not like they're dominating at home. Um, right. Now, maybe if you actually got to the contest and you had the home state governor, it might be a different story like, you know, John Kasich in Ohio in 2016, mm-hmm. where you know he won Ohio, but that was basically it. Um but you know, it's, it, there's not there's not a whole lot of clamoring. I think for like obviously for Sununu decided not to do it. You know, Hogan's not going to do it, and and you know, Yunkin. I think there's a lot of uh, kind of elite Republican enthusiasm about him, but I don't think the the rank and file is necessarily you know pounded down his doors for him to run. How about uh, you know name recognition and candidates aside, messaging? And I ask you that because Nikki Haley was asked last night in her town hall on CNN to define woke. And she spoke for a couple of minutes. I won't put everyone through it now, but but never really did define it. Ron DeSantis has been asked this before, and some would suggest, Kyle, that that is the message uh, for the Republican primary field. Are they right? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's there's a lot of leaning into sort of cultural conservatism and um, running against what they perceive as the excesses of the left. And, you know, part, part of what's convenient about that is you don't have to necessarily run it's a it's a unifying kind of message at least on the republican side um you know you're not gonna uh, i mean the, the the rhetoric toward um you know like transgender athletes and that sort of thing has been mm-hmm. fairly harsh on the on the republican side that was something that the um that nikki haley got into um last night um and you know so it's i think it's kind of heavy on sort of culture war um red meat stuff um which again i think has sort of a unifying effect on the gop field but you know if if, if that's all that it's not, it's not everything that people's talk, people are talking about. That seems to be the focus of the message, but I don't see how, necessarily see how you really don't want that much different than Trump in that regard. And look, maybe the, the public, the, the Republicans don't want anything different than Trump, but if that's the case, then they're probably just going to vote for Trump instead of these other options. I mean, I know there are a lot of unknowns out there, you know, Trump may face future legal trouble beyond what he's already in. So maybe that sort of scrambles things, but you know, for the time being, like I said, I mean, Trump's position seems pretty good. I'll lay one more on you. Cornell West announces today for the People's Party. Do we ever talk about it again after the day? Is this a Ralph Nader thing for Joe Biden? Does it matter? Uh, I mean, look, in our presidential elections are so close in this country. Typically speaking, um, uh, you know, we've really only had one kind of, I'd say, kind of runaway of this, you know, of the last six elections. That was Obama in 2008. And even he he only didn't, you know, didn't win by double digits in the popular vote. And if this thing is super close in the key states, as it was in 2016 and both 2020, you know, if there is a kind of alternative candidate on the ballot who gets half a percent of the vote or something like that, or even less than that, you know, maybe that has some sort of bearing on the outcome, but, you know, even for like the, you know, if, if no labels runs a presidential candidate, that, yeah. that person will probably be the most high profile and best funded third party yes, candidate. Right. There's still no path to victory for that person either. And nobody wants to raise their hand. Everybody thought it was Larry Hogan. What happened? Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there is this infrastructure in place for that for this person. Um, And uh, but, you know, I also think that, you know, maybe the experience of 2016, you know, six percent of the electorate voted for someone other than Trump or or, uh, Clinton in that election. You know, maybe there's a feeling that, hey, you know, if I'm voting third party, I'm really just kind of not, you know, my vote isn't counting, particularly in the in the key uh, swing states. So, you know, I think there's a lot of delusions going on with what the no labels folks talk about in public yep. as to their path to victory. I mean, I just think it's, it just seems like a total pipe dream to me. 
Hey, great to talk to you, Kyle. The campaign is on. That's why we needed Kyle Kondik, of course, from Sabato's Crystal Ball at the University of Virginia Center for Politics. And you know what you need now is the panel. Rick and Jeannie off the weekend and on the air next. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. He has less than 4% support in the Real Clear Politics average of polls. And he's just made it official. Your former vice president, Mike Pence, is running. As opposed to last weekend in Iowa when he was riding. Well, hello, Iowa. It is great to be back at the roast and ride. Yeah, that's... I rode and I roasted on the ride. Okay. There's Mike Pence in Iowa for us as we reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are back again. Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel, as we raise the curtain on 24. Uh, Rick Davis, these kind of events, the, the the ride and roast, you have to do it, right? But but do you have to wear the leather vest oh, that I think Mike that, Pence chose this weekend? Yeah, I, I think the ride is mandatory. The vest is optional. <laughs> I, I think that's a... Uh, that's a, a really interesting uh, piece of equipment for him because everyone's <laughs> yes. used to seeing him in blue suits and white shirts. Was and that red the ties. point? So uh, I think that he fit in really well. He's he is a motorcycle enthusiast, and and I think he was able to show Republican voters at the roast and ride a different side of Mike Pence, which he's mm-hmm. going to have to show them in order to be competitive. Well, I suspect yeah that, that we might see a lot more of that. Uh, though, Rick, what's your advice to the the former vice president here when you're at four percent? And you've got Donald Trump the other end of the stage. 
Well, you know, you can look at it from the positive. 4% means he's four times more support than Nikki Haley and other people. Oh, man. Uh, but uh, he's got a long way to go. Uh, he, he will appeal to sort of disaffected Trump Republicans uh, because he does support the policies that they uh, had, tax policy, foreign policy, things like that. Um, but obviously broke with the president over January 6th. So, uh, you know, if you are a disaffected uh, Trump MAGA uh, voter, you know, you might take a look at Mike because he's the closest you got to his boss. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not sure how much that has conviction in Iowa. He's going to have to run his own campaign. He's going to have to be his own candidate. And uh, he has the potential to pick up support in Iowa. I'm not sure, uh, you know, is a second place finish good enough for him to get a ticket out of Iowa? We're going to see. Uh, and uh, and I but I think that's sort of he's a one state candidate right now. And if he if he doesn't get a ticket out of Iowa, he's not going to get on any more motorcycles yeah, right. at future events. That's right. Uh, so, Jeannie, he actually he, he filed paperwork today. This is real. This is official for Mike Pence. A lot of folks thought maybe he would not run uh, even just a couple of weeks ago here. But you're going to have Chris Christie tomorrow and then you'll have. Uh, 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 on the other sa- uh, the other side of that announcement, the announcement from uh, the governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum. Who are you actually watching this week as a quote-unquote real threat here to Donald Trump? You know, I- I'm really excited for Chris Christie to come out. He's always bombastic. He always has a lot to say. He is badly trailing in the polls at this point, but, you know, hoping he can move it up. But can I just say, Joe Matthew, I want to yes. get you a leather jacket. Yeah. Oh, no, no, to- no. It seems to be the thing. We had Casey DeSantis out there where woke goes to die. No, 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 I'm that's getting right. you one with the fastest hours in politics. <laughs> and I'm going to couple that with a vest for Rick with the same saying on it. See, so. Rick might be able to pull that off. <laughs> I, I know that I can't pull this stuff off, which is why I would never go there. But very kind of you to think of me. Uh, how about Chris Christie and the idea that, as, as Kyle Kondik put it, uh, Rick, uh, as the, the kamikaze candidate, I think I was calling him a hired assassin last time we discussed that. Does he actually play a role in that he jumps into the race just to cut off Donald Trump at the knees with no intention of winning the nomination? Uh, Yeah. You know, look, I mean, Chris Christie called it himself the murder suicide uh, of the 2016 (laughs) campaign. So there are a lot of different characterizations of him. But look, I think he's going to take a swing at the fence. Uh, Clearly, his focus is going to be on. Uh, taken down Donald Trump. But I think this is where he has clarity amongst the field, because if the rest of the field doesn't also do that, then none of them are going to have a shot at the at the at the nomination. So uh, I'm not sure what anybody else thinks is their path other than through Donald Trump. So mm-hmm. if Christie can help clear that path, uh, maybe he gives himself a shot, you know, uh, later on in the primaries that went into some states and and maybe, you know, having a having a say as to what happens at the convention. Uh, there's there's no guarantee that anybody wins this thing outright at this stage. Does Doug Burgum do anything for you? And I ask you that here on Bloomberg, knowing that, you know, he's a he's a former business guy who was a software entrepreneur, uh, could invest his own money to finance his campaign. Does anyone end up talking about him? Yeah, he'll make himself probably a factor if he can get into the into the debates. Um, that's going to take some effort on his part because he starts with literally no no name ID whatsoever. Yeah, uh, and maybe the fundraising thresholds become a problem for him uh, that the RNC have set. But uh, the reality is, uh, I think he falls into the category of a lot of one percenters right now, which is if you don't get some momentum soon, this is not a schedule of primaries and, and pre-primary activity that's that's good for candidates who have to generate a lot of name ID because it's just going to move fast. 
and and they're going to be left behind and there will be incredible pressure to consolidate this field by the end of this year and 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 these these are the kinds of candidates who are going to fall under that pressure uh, indeed the first uh, republican presidential debate will be on august 23rd do either of you think donald trump will be there i don't think you do rick right yeah, from my perspective, he'd be nuts to go there. I mean, huh. you know, why set yourself up? You, you're, you're 20 points ahead of the nearest competitor in the field right. on a national basis. You want to give him a forum to take shots at you. There's no downside to it uh, for Donald Trump. Everybody will complain. But like even this weekend, nobody really took hard shots at Donald Trump and he didn't attend the, the, the ride and roast. So um, uh, why why put yourself at risk? Uh, maybe he's the kind of guy who just likes to mix it up. I don't know. Same for you, Jeannie. You expect to see Donald Trump? On August 23rd? You know, I hope to see him on August 23rd. I don't expect to, but the problem for these candidates is going to be qualifying. I mean, 40,000 campaign donors, individual, they have to qualify with, plus the better than one, the points most of them have right now in the series of qualifying polls. So it's still an uphill battle for some of them to to be able to get there. And, you know, if we look at the history of Iowa, you know, it is confounding to people outside Iowa because it has not been a good marker of who's going to get the nomination. You look to 08, which Rick knows well. You look to 12. You look to 16. In contested caucuses, the the winners of the Iowa caucus have not gone on to win the nomination. So the amount of time these candidates spend there is absolutely baffling to people outside politics who wonder what all the fuss is about when their prediction rate is like less than 45 <laughs> percent. Well, I've got another one for you, Jeannie. Hang on. This this one could actually have Democrats in the sites here. Let's see how we do this. I want to make sure I do this right. Well, it's actually... All right, stand by. Cornell West announces today his run for the People's Party. Is this the Ralph Nader of this administration or a non-story, Jeannie? I think it probably in the end will be a, a non-story. It hurts me personally to say that. He's a former professor. He's a, yes, an absolutely he fascinating man. He's he's a great scholar. Um, you know, he's going to get his, try to get his message out there. But the danger, of course, is, as Kyle talked about, that he ends up taking a few in a close election, a few votes from where people who support him would want it to be in the end. And that is likely mm-hmm. with, with Joe Biden. So that is the danger. But he's going to get out there and he's going to try to make his case. Um, but, you know, at this point, you know, historically, these third parties go absolutely nowhere. And you talked about no labels. You know, Joe Manchin has long been talked about as potential nominee there. Yes, right. But, you know, it's he's probably better off running in West Virginia where he's so far behind in the polls at <laughs> this point. It's a good question. It was a creative announcement. What it sounds like on the video. In these bleak times, I have decided to run for truth and justice, which takes the form of running for president of the United States as a Cornell West. Could we see some Republican money pour into that campaign just to make a problem for Joe Biden, Rick? Yeah, I imagine some might fall off that table and make their way into his uh, campaign pocket. But uh, at least we're going to have a groovy campaign out there that we can have some fun with. Honestly, he's got the best music of all. This is, by the way, I checked. That's how much I liked it. The Freedom Affair is the name of the band, Genie. The song is called Rise Up. If that's all we get out of this announcement, I'm calling that a win. It is a win. I Picturing us all you know, wearing our leather jackets and enjoying it. Very groovy. <laughs> I don't know if that's how well that's going to play in Iowa. That The leather jackets, it's a whole other thing. I'm not sure. Uh, Rick and Jeannie, stay with us. Great to spend time with our friends after the weekend as we tackle another tough one uh, coming up next. That's the situation in Ukraine as we count down to the so-called spring offensive. It's feeling more like a summer offensive. 
and the handshake heard round the world. But I guess for all the wrong reasons, as the Secretary of Defense makes his way to the Shangri-La. Did you see this? The handshake with the Chinese resulted in no new optimism. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. A warning from Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin to China. Even after shaking hands with China's defense minister at the Shangri-La dialogue over the weekend, not a lot to show for that handshake. More tough rhetoric coming from Beijing. China's decision to come dangerously close to a U.S. destroyer in the Taiwan Strait reaction from the Secretary of Defense. The whole world has a stake in maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. The whole world. The security of commercial shipping lanes and global supply chains depends on it. And so does freedom of navigation worldwide. worldwide. But make no mistake, conflict in the Taiwan Strait would be devastating. Devastating indeed, and I can't think that many would argue with that. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano are with us as we focus abroad here for a few moments. China has rebuffed requests for a meeting between Austin and uh, his Chinese counterpart. They shook hands at this conference. Uh, Rick, who breaks the ice here in this relationship? Because the videos we're seeing, jets coming too close, cutting off the destroyer. At some point, we're going to have an accident here. Yeah, it's a disturbing uh, situation where these two leaders of their uh, independent uh, defense industries uh, aren't able to spend 10 minutes uh, past a handshake uh, just putting together a communications uh, format that will ensure that there aren't uh, potential problems uh, that would result in a conflict. And, 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 And I can only attribute that to the Chinese lack of interest in doing so because Certainly, uh, Secretary Austin has made it very clear that he's prepared to do that. And, and even while they're there, as you mentioned earlier, the, the, the near misses that are occurring both in the air and on the sea uh, between uh, two competing navies and air forces are, mm-hmm. are, are exactly the scenario that you need this communication for. I would say the one you know, positive is we've learned that CIA Director you know, William Burns did meet with his counterpart, uh, yeah. both in China and uh, as part of the uh, uh, Shanghai uh, dialogue. So at least there's communication on the intelligence side that uh, will, uh, will, will help foster that kinds of uh, uh, commu- you know, uh, conflicts avoidance. This isn't coming easily here, uh, Jeannie. What does the Biden administration need to do differently? Yeah, it's really perplexing because we're getting some really mixed signals. I mean, we heard Biden at the G7 talking about, you know, he was seemed mildly optimistic and hopeful that things were going to, uh, you know, sort of revert after the balloon incident. And yet we've not seen that. And of course, the tension ratcheted up by these two recent incidents. I think for the Biden administration, they have to keep pushing to try to keep talks going as much as they can. Um, certainly, China is willing to meet on economic issues. Uh, you know, we talked about Jamie Dimon being over there. We talked about Elon Musk, obviously not U.S. officials, but certainly over there meeting with uh, Chinese officials talking about economic issues. So they've got to push there. They've got to try to keep the channels open on diplomatic issues and hope that they can push the door open on the security end of things so that if there is an incident, God forbid, they do have a channel of communication open 
open in which to ratchet it down tensions. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it, it does seem that China is still pushing and that they feel very strongly that their uh, interest in Taiwan and in that area is much stronger than ours and they will go to the mat for it and we may not. At least that's their hope. I don't think that's the fact, but that seems to be their hope. Well, we're having this conversation as the counteroffensive appears to be getting underway for real in Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine both reporting widespread fighting along the war's front lines with anticipation mounting for Ukraine to make a big move here. We heard about it from General Mark Milley this morning, who was talking to CNN about the readiness, the level of preparedness for Ukraine's military. I think it's too early to tell uh, what outcomes are going to happen. I think the Ukrainians are very well prepared. As you know very well, the United States and other allied countries in Europe and, and really around the world have provided training and ammunition and advice, uh, intelligence, etc., to the Ukrainians. We spent a lot of time talking about hardware uh, that they may or may not need, Rick, whether there's training they may or may not need to the general's point. Uh, they're certainly getting the intelligence they need from the U.S. Does Ukraine have what it needs to, to wage this counteroffensive? Well, I think it's more uh, the question is um, when does the counteroffensive start and and what the strategy will be behind it because they are going to they they are going to launch a counteroffensive with the weapons and the manpower that they have. Uh, yeah. they, this has been a long time in coming. These these soldiers that'll hit the front um, have been uh, going through extensive training both in and out of the country. Uh, they do have new weapons uh, and integrated. A system that they didn't have before where they have, you know, tanks and armored personnel carriers and drones, you know, and support from the air that they otherwise didn't have. So uh, it's going to be a different kind of war that's taken to the Russians uh, in the battlefield uh, as soon as this uh, spring offensive is launched. And we'll see whether or not the Russians have the capacity, both with manpower and systems and and, and strategy to repulse it, because what's coming at them now, they have not yet seen. Yeah. Well, that's something to say. As we now enter, well, I guess now that we are in June, is the 16th month of this genie, and Vladimir Putin's not waiting around. He continues to, to shoot missiles specifically at, at civilian areas, targeting uh, apartment buildings, people's homes. The, the stories that we read on a regular basis here uh, have not slowed down at all. They have not, and you know, the civilian um, casualty rate is high, um, and he has shown no interest in ending that. And I would also say we are starting to see some signs that people are calling for a diplomatic solution more and more. I would note Foreign Affairs has a uh, piece out today called An Unwinnable War, and the juxt, I mean, it's a long piece, but the juxt, mm -hmm. you know, the sort of uh, nugget of it is, is that the U.S. has to push for a diplomatic solution because this war is going to go on and not end. And that is, of course, what Russia has been hoping for, that the U.S. would sort of lose steam, NATO would lose steam, support would, you know, sort of die out, and then they would not be, they would be able to uh, really confront Ukraine without the support of NATO. So, you know, those signs are starting to be there, and that is a really dangerous moment. That's mm -hmm. why I think when Zelensky gave the address at Johns Hopkins the other day, the commencement address, which was very, uh, you know, the students were very excited about, he said the most important thing you have is time. And he needs time to fight this, and he needs support. And that is the question of whether he's going to get that going forward. Russia's defense ministry says uh, naval tactical groups began operational exercises in the Baltic Sea and will run through June 15th. Forty warships uh, involved here, Rick. We only have 30 seconds. Is this just posturing or the beginning of something? 
No, I think that, uh, you know, it's a show of force. It's an effort to try and, uh, you know, galvanize public opinion around their capabilities. And, yeah. uh, you know, th- we'll see whether or not anybody buys into it. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with some final thoughts next on The Fastest Show in Politics. It's going by today. This is what happens. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Don't believe everything you hear in the U.S. House. I'm not referring to talking points or political posturing. Case in point, this day, 1998, when the Associated Press accidentally ran an obit. is not a good move for legendary entertainer Bob Hope. And no one thought to check on that before Congressman Bob Stump took to the floor. He was introduced by then-Majority Leader Dick Armey. gentleman from Michigan would be willing to yield time to the gentleman for Arizona for uh, an announcement I think will be a great interest to this body. I yield to my friend from Arizona, Mr. Stump. I thank the gentleman for yielding. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I have the sad responsibility to tell you this afternoon that Bob Hope passed away. Uh, it, for those people in uniform from the early days of World War II, through the Gulf War, no man or woman in uniform ever had a, a better friend than Bob Hope. Bob Hope always said he would never stop entertaining. He said that uh, as long as he was able, I'm not retiring until they carry me away, he said, and I'll have a few routines on the way to the Big Dipper. Well, they all miss him very much, and as you know, we honored him just recently for the first time in the history of this country that we made an honorary veteran that took place here in the rotunda of the Capitol, and uh, we're all going to miss him, and I thank the gentleman for yielding. But Bob Hope was very much alive. His daughter said the phone started ringing off the hook at their house in Toluca Lake. There's no truth in it, she said. Quote, Dad is at home having his breakfast at this point. He is fine, unquote. Of course, he would move to live several more years before passing in 2003. Rick and Jeannie with a minute left. Who checks on this stuff, Rick, when a member of the House decides to run to the floor with an announcement? Well, it's a lot easier to fact check now than it was then because of the uh, Internet and Google. But uh, it is a classic Samuel Clemens. You know, reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. I mean, how many times have we seen that used? So uh, mistakes will always be made on the floor of the Senate and the House. But uh, that's a big one. Uh, It sure was. uh, But but imagine being alive to witness a moment like that while they're talking about Eugenie. That's right. And I love the New York Times had a headline. Oops, Bob Hope is not dead. And that was pretty much summarized it. And of course, you can't even blame the members on the floor. It's really the press. Here, here. Yeah, I guess that's right. AP started it. Rick and Jeannie, thanks for a great talk. Hour two of Sound On starts right now. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success.
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Hour two now, which means Kaylee Lines joins us. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we raise the curtain on the 2024 campaign. Of course, the cycle's uh, long underway here, Kaylee. It's good to see you, but we're adding a whole bunch of names this week, starting with one today. Uh, yeah, and not just anyone. Of course, a former vice president to the leading Republican yes, presidential indeed. candidate, Donald Trump. Mike Pence is officially in the race. Hasn't done the whole announcement yet, but he did file That's today. That's the stuff that counts. Indeed. Filed the paperwork. Following a weekend in Iowa, we talked about this uh, with yeah. the panel last hour. Uh, everyone weighed in on the leather vest. Yep. Rick Davis thought it worked, showing a different side to Mike Pence, though he may want to practice that a little bit. He, of course, was there with many other candidates who have who have declared uh, for the uh, the roast and ride. Mm -hmm. Or is it the ride and roast put together by Joni Ernst? Well, hello, Iowa. Yeah, here we go. This is the good stuff. It is great to be back at the roast and ride. Roast and ride. <laughs> I rode and I roasted on the ride. I just love that line. I just I think that's so great. And, of course, Tim Scott was there as well. Yep. He knows how to start a rally. Mm. Uh, I mean, we saw it at the campaign announcement. He's sticking with the same music here. This is the best. Come on. There he is. <laughs> yes. Uh, Nikki Haley was there as well, yep. along with uh, Ron DeSantis, who's and been coming out to country music. There's who wasn't, which is Donald Trump. That's correct. And a lot of questions about whether he might even appear on a debate stage yep. when they all come together. 23rd of August now, new criteria from the RNC yep. on the qualifiers to get on stage. All of this informing our conversation with Mick Mulvaney. Should we bring him in now? I think we should. I think he's here. Hey, Mick, welcome back. Hey, uh, Joe, great to hey, have Kaylee, you. Happy Monday. You missing Indeed. Iowa or what? <laughs> no, no, I love Iowa. It's got, it's got two wonderful seasons, the winter and the 4th of July, and I look forward to being there on the 4th of July. Okay, very good. Uh, how did Mike Pence do after looking at him over the course of the weekend? You know Mike Pence better than most people will ever, and he's I just do. made the, dropped the, the paperwork to make this official, Mick. And you can't, everybody who knows Mike Pence likes Mike Pence because he's just, again, he's just a, he's a great guy. Um, and I don't blame him for running for president. I just don't, I don't I've yet to see what Mike's lane is. Um, he's, remember, he's in a unique situation. He's the only Republican candidate not named Trump that the that MAGA people hate. 
Okay, I mean, is is just the the MAGA people will accept Ron DeSantis if he beats Trump. They might accept Tim Scott, but they really, really don't like Mike Pence. Wow. And he's got that's an uphill battle for him to fight, and it's a really hard thing to do, especially when your personality is as nice as he is, because it's sort of mm-hmm. be hard to to take people on. Well, when we're talking about what you're referring to as the MAGA people, realistically, that's what thirty percent of the Republican okay. Party. I think that's fair. Yeah. And so he can't claim that other 70 percent? Doesn't someone have to? He's, he, he, he's fighting with, keep in mind, if Ron DeSantis starts to move up, I think it's, it's easier for him to start peeling off some Trump voters because they might perceive him as a reasonable substitute. I think it's really, really hard for Mike Pence to peel anybody away for Donald Trump. So he's not fighting over 100 percent of the field. He's fighting over 70, whereas everybody else is fighting over a hundred. It's a, just a difficult lane. If I'm a conservative, mm. pro-life voter in Iowa looking for a really good person to, to support, give me, tell me why I'm going to Mike Pence and not Tim Scott. That's that's mm-hmm. that's what I haven't figured out. Yet. Well, surely he knows all of this, right? Does does Mike Pence? And I'm asking this seriously. Does he feel like he's doing God's work, like he's motivated by God, as he says, or is this to set up a, a run for four years from now, maybe? You know, some people, when some people say that, you know, the, the Lord told them to run for office there, it's, it's not real, right? Um, yeah. I can count on one hand the number of people who tell me that, and I would absolutely believe it. And Mike is one of those that people. That would be he's the not, guy. <laughs> Exactly. He's not, he's not, it's not for show. That's really him. He and his wife, when they say they went home and prayed about it, they prayed about it. That's the kind of folks they are. So, no, I, it might, you know, you could make the arguments four years now, make the arguments a TV program or selling books or whatever. No, I think Mike is 100% sincere in what he's trying to do. Well, and of course, you know, we've characterized him as having to compete with his the former president he served uh, as vice president for, Donald Trump, with Ron DeSantis. But really, by the end of this week, we're going to be looking at a Republican primary field of, I believe, 11 candidates. It's getting more and more crowded. Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, is expected to make his announcement tomorrow. I know you spent some time with him recently. Is his case any different than Pence? Does he have a lane here? Yeah, I, I really do, and I really think that this uh, after the after the big four, and in my mind, big four are Trump, uh, DeSantis, Tim Scott, and Nikki Haley for a variety of reasons. After the big four, the most interesting entry in the race, in my mind, is is Chris Christie's, assuming he comes in um, tomorrow as he's widely expected to do. Uh, I don't think he, if he knows he can beat Donald Trump, but he's going to try and take him out. Um, he he does believe that he knows Donald Trump better than anybody else, and that he can fight with Trump on his own terms. And I think he might be right. Remember. One of the reasons Jeb Bush couldn't punch back at Trump and Marco Rubio could, and they all look so ham-fisted when they do it, is that that's not their yeah. personality, right? right. This right. is Chris Christie's personality. He <laughs> wants to fight with Donald Trump, and it's going to be fun to watch. It's been suggested, I believe it was Lisa Camusa-Miller, who used to work with Chris Christie, and she's frequently a Republican analyst on this program, that there would be no Donald Trump without Chris Christie, that he was actually the original character, to your point there, Mick. So is, is he then the kamikaze candidate, as has been described? just there to, to knock down Donald Trump and then I'll go home and go back to New Jersey, or is he in this to win the nomination? Well, I think everybody's in it to win it, right, for the most part. I think some of them are vying for vice presidential spots. I don't think Asa Hutchinson really thinks he can win, but Chris Christie's the real deal, right? I mean, 10 years ago, this was a guy who was sort of a cutting edge of the, of the new conservative right. wing of the party. So I certainly think he's got it, uh, but he's also got a pitch, right, which is, look, if you support Tim Scott, support me a little bit. If you support Nikki Haley, support me a little bit, because I'm the one who could go take out Trump and maybe your person could do better. And that's a compelling sales pitch when you've got to raise a bunch of money to, to run for president. So I, think, I think it's the most interesting entry. No offense to my, to my good friend Mike Pence. I think Chris Christie's entrance, mm. entrance into the race has a lot more potential to change things than Mike Pence has done. 
It's really interesting. And Mick, I want to go back to something you just said about the big four being Trump, DeSantis, Scott and Haley. I think a lot of people, when looking at the polling, would think it's, you know, one massive out front, another big in Ron DeSantis, and then Scott and Haley really aren't really registering that much. Why do you think that they're they're bigger contenders here? Uh, it has to do with lanes uh, and, and what they're pitching. They're, they're pitching something different, right? It, DeSantis is going head-to-head on Trump. He's the, you know, I'm Trump without the hush money to the payments to porn stars, right? I'm the younger Trump. Nikki Haley... Um, not only generational difference, but first woman, neoconservative foreign policy, um, you know, pretty good on some of the issues. She's got that. And then, of course, Tim Scott is preaching something that, that you know, the Republicans haven't done for a long time, which is positivism and, and optimism and so forth. So there's, there's different lanes for those folks. Um, that's why I see them as, as the four likely. I, I guess if, 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 if Christie gets in, he's in the same lane as Trump and DeSantis. And again, it'll be uh, fabulous to watch. Keep in mind, by the way, Debates. You guys talked about that before the RNC. Chris Christie played Joe Biden for Donald Trump in the 2016 and 2020 races. Mm. Um, Donald Trump is afraid to death to debate Chris Christie. He knows he's better than he is. He knows Christie's better than he is. It'll be fascinating to watch the dynamic if Chris actually does get in the race and qualifies those debates. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the new criteria here is is interesting. I, I wonder your thoughts uh, on, on this, Mick, and, and whether. Donald Trump even shows up because he's suggesting that he he may not for starters here. And now it's going to be difficult for some of these candidates, including Chris Christie, uh, to get on stage here. Right. You need at least one percent support in three national polls uh, or or what is it? One percent in two national polls and one percent in early state polls. Uh, Then there's the matter of donors. What's the stage look like? And then I think you're still going to have the pledge that says you have to That's pledge right. to support the ultimate Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. And that could be problematic for Trump because no one's going to believe him if he says yes because he won't do it. And number two, several of them have come out. I think Chris Christie has come out and said he won't support Trump if he's the nominee. So you do have that dynamic as to whether or not you can even get on the stage. So, yeah, this is going to be a long time to shake it out. Look, uh, Ronald McDaniel's got, it, got her hands full um, going into this election cycle. And the, uh, believe me, the debates in August are just the beginning of the, of the challenges they face. Mm-hmm. As we talk about Donald Trump here in Washington, we were all abuzz this morning as his attorneys were in a meeting at the Department of Justice. We're all bracing to see if another indictment may be coming down related to the documents, or I believe what Trump might now be referring to as some boxes. Uh, Would another indictment have the same kind of impact as what we saw in New York, where massive fundraising opportunity actually arguably works in his favor? Or does another one knock him down a notch? It depends. It really does. And I know that sounds like I'm punting, but here's what I think it depends on. That the Manhattan thing helped Trump because it was just so facially weak that even, you know, his critics like myself and even Democrats were, were, were coming to his defense because it was such a weak case. If the documents case, let's call it that, is similarly weak, I think it has a similar impact because it looks like it's politically motivated and that helps Trump. That being said, I think that the, 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 the weight of the document case will not depend on Donald Trump's uh, behavior. I think they're probably going to get him dead to rights on hiding stuff or you know, not knowing he had it when he was supposed to know he had it or not, qual- not declassifying, etc. I think it's going to come down to the, to the nature of the documents. That's what people really care about. If he had stuff that was really, really important and really, really nasty, if it gets out in the, in the public or it's being used for some reason, that could actually hurt him. If it's you know, another list of documents that happen to be classified that... Nobody cares about. Keep in mind the menus for the foreign state dinners were classified at a certain level. If it's that kind of low-level stuff, then it's just going to help him again. His supporters won't spend time to 
tell the difference, though, right? I mean, once we we got through the what they saw as the corrupt uh, Manhattan DA, every other case is going to be spun in that fashion. Yeah, let me let me give you the extreme case, okay? and I don't believe this for for a second. But if this turns out to be the case, is this why they spent all the time and the money investigating him? If he had sensitive American military information, sensitive military information about another country, and was showing it to people who would be in a position to benefit from that one way or the other, yeah. He's not going to lose all of his supporters, but there's but going to that be people cuts through. step back. That's exactly right. Now we're talking serious stuff. Now it's not just it's would he have been charged if his last name wasn't Donald Trump? I think that's the metric, and that's what we we'll wait to see if they uh, do indict him. Wow. Well, and in theory, Joe, related to the the classified documents issue, this has not been a uniquely Trump problem. Well, also surrounding sure. Pence, who also is getting into the race now, and the current sitting president. And I just wonder, Mick, you know, what what that level of kind of it being not just an exclusive uh, Trump issue, the fact that there are other figures who we could point to and say, hey, what about them? How that might make a difference here? It could. Keep on. Pence, I think I cleared this week. I haven't heard much about Biden. But again, they both did. Both Pence and, and Biden did what I think you're supposed to do in the circumstances, which is say, yeah. I paid somebody to go investigate. They found the stuff. The stuff. Here are my documents back. I took them. But I didn't do anything other than that. Keep in mind, it's, it's so often in politics, as in life, right? It's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Um, and Pence didn't do that. Biden didn't do that, as best as we can tell right now. And the, mm-hmm. the charges may well include, you know, when it comes to not just taking the documents, keeping them when he should not have. I'm talking about Trump now. That it's going to be that obstruction of justice charge that uh, we worry about so much in this business. It's not the crime, it's the cover-up that they finally get you on. Drop another name on you here, uh, Mick, as we consider the campaign cycle, and maybe we'll we'll wrap on this. Chris Sununu says he's not running. Of course, the governor of New Hampshire. I don't know if he would have made a dent. That's a conversation for another day. But he wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post to announce this. I will have more credibility speaking out against Trump as a non-candidate to help move the conversation toward the future. I believe the Republican Party should embrace uh, Chris Sununu endeavoring to stop Trump. What does that mean for the campaign? Not much, other than in New Hampshire. I, I think that's that's the only reason anybody cares about this. I mean, if Asa Hutchinson had put out a statement saying he's not running for president, no one would care, right? Because it's Arkansas. <laughs> um, but yeah. with, with okay. Sanudu saying this, what that means is he's going to try and maybe I don't know team up with somebody like Chris Christie to to, to attack Trump in his home state. I don't yeah. think voters in South Carolina care a second about John, about Chris Sanudu, but they will in New Hampshire. So that's an interesting dynamic. That? Wow, that's going to be something to watch. Well, we're going to have to start traveling soon. When are you, when's the next time you're in Iowa? Are you serious about the 4th of July? Uh, no, I, I, I try okay. not to go in the wintertime, but for some reason <laughs> they keep having elections in the wintertime there, which makes it a real pain Funny in the butt. how that works, yeah. Uh, well, we'll bump into you, I hope, in one of these early states. Maybe we'll meet you in Manchester. Mick Mulvaney, former OMB director, former acting everything. Uh, he was acting chief of staff the White House. Co-founder, of course, the House Freedom Caucus, former Member of Congress, South Carolina's fifth. Kaylee, always an interesting conversation. We do this every week here on this broadcast. And by the time we have this conversation next week, the field may be even bigger. Three more. (laughs) Well, we got one official. If you're just joining us, Mike Pence drops the paperwork. Three more to go this week, including Chris Christie tomorrow. As we turn next to the OPEC surprise cut on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. A surprise cut is the headline, though I don't know how we found that out when all the reporters were kicked out of the room. But of course, this is OPEC now, and we are watching oil prices, uh, Kaylee Lines, following an interesting weekend uh, yeah. for the oil ministers here. Yeah, a surprise is right. And it's surprising in two ways. One, that it is a cut, but mm -hmm. two, that the cut is coming exclusively from one country, Saudi Arabia, an extra one million barrels of day a day in production being slashed in July, clearly trying to support uh, oil prices. And what's interesting, Joe, is that you aren't necessarily seeing it have the impact we thought it would. At the open of the session, Brent prices spiked 5%. We're mm -hmm. now up nine-tenths of a percent, yeah. 76.84 a barrel. I'm yeah. guessing and that wasn't exactly what Abdulaziz bin Salman was going for. WTI is up less than a dollar a barrel right now, 1%, below 73 still. I don't know how far that's gone today, but uh, they were hoping for a little bit more of a reaction here as we walk. I mean, my goodness, it's it's June. This is the summer driving season. Yeah. And it's, of course, a very different summer driving season than we were dealing with this time last year. I mean, it was June last year when we saw the average price at the pump in the U.S. above five dollars a barrel. Wow. And obviously we're living in a very different world now where we are worried about demand if we're heading into a recession and therefore you know they're trying to restrict supply in order to offset right, some right. of that it's just a question of whether that's going to work so we're talking a million barrels a day another million barrels a day wti by the way was up as much as five percent uh, following the announcement it's up just one percent now uh, just for a little more context here and so we have a lot of questions about what went into this why it was a surprise to so many people, and frankly, the access uh, issue was one. I know that not everybody uh, is concerned about reporters getting in the room here, but this is how we learn about this stuff, yep. Kaylee, and the transparency was a problem. 
Yeah, including for Bloomberg News journalists, I believe. A number of organizations were kind of cut out of the of the picture here going into this. So we want to spend some time uh, with Clay to get a, a sense of this. He's with Rapidan Energy Group. Clay Siegel, the Global Oil Service Director. And I wonder your thoughts when you saw the headline roll here, Clay, uh, and, and it seems to be having no impact. Hey, Joe and Kaylee, thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Thanks for um, being here. Well, as you know, I mean, these guys play a medium and long-term game and are not going to be um, focused too much on the first day of trading intraday moves that y'all were reporting just now. But with that said, of course, their goal is to stabilize the oil market as they see in their interests. And what's really interesting, a couple of takeaways from this, but um, it's, it's constructive for the group's just unity and their market influence that they extended their supply cooperation deal through 2024. They previewed some tentative plans for 2025. And it's good that they kind of moved the, um, the visibility and the calendar on their deal out. I think especially because, as you all alluded to a minute ago, the rest of OPEC Plus outside of Saudi Arabia just left its, its production targets unchanged yesterday. Yeah. So impressing the market on its medium-term commitments is, um, is good for OPEC's interests. There's quite a few loose ends, though, uh, in these plans for the next couple of years that we think will determine outcomes. They're going to they're gonna eventually revise the production baseline volumes for, for many of the member states. That's going to be contentious. And getting some more solid numbers on Russia's compliance with its mm-hmm. pledged uh, cutbacks. So, of course, we're eager to, to learn about those details and, and analyze them further. But when we're thinking about the signal here, is this a sign that we should be worried about demand? Is Saudi Arabia seeing something that maybe the rest of us aren't privy to yet? Well, what we're really seeing is a a test of wills between Riyadh on one hand and traders in the in the paper oil markets. On the other hand, they many of them believe that fundamentals are going to be loose, either because OPEC plus won't come through with its pledged uh, reductions and or because, right, oil demand won't grow as much as forecasters are expecting. Um, This unilateral cut by Saudi Arabia uh, would take their output all the way down to 9 million barrels a day. That's that's the lowest, I think, since about mid-21. But there's a lot of history here, okay? I'm going to make it really concise. Saudi Arabia got stuck in the 1980s serving as the swing producer, and they gave up a tremendous amount of market share to defend price. Uh, And that's at a time when new producers were kind of ramping up. There was a recession. Now, it was ultimately in vain. It didn't work out. They had to throw in the towel and actually crash prices to, to chase out the competition. But they pledged to not play that role again in the future. And so what they're trying to do in this case, guys, is they're trying to just shore up market sentiment and chase out some of those bearish short positions just until the macroeconomic clouds can clear and those oil prices can move higher as fundamentals tighten up later this year. Yeah, Clay, it's funny you mentioned the shorts because Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman just said two weeks ago that the shorts should be watching out, Joe, and maybe this was him kind of signaling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What's going on with Russia is Mike question for you, Clay, that 
the the energy minister here says Russia would benefit from being transparent in publishing its oil production data, remembering that Russia restricted that data last year due to what it called its sensitive nature. Does Saudi Arabia not trust Russia here? I think the message that they're sending, that OPEC Plus as a whole is sending, is more data transparency and visibility helps everyone and fosters more stable commodity markets, including oil markets. So the more reliable data, the better. And uh, we have, right, some setbacks since the the war and the invasion took place, and Russia's government is not publishing uh, oil production data like it used to. On the other hand, we do have we do have new data sources that are out there that look at things like total world observable inventories, visible inventories, um, <clears throat> high-frequency data on Russia's exports of crude and refined products. Those give us some pretty good proxies and pretty good indicators about where things are headed. And what we can say is, even though exports are not a perfect substitute for production data, Russia's recent export volumes are clearly signaling that... Um, uh, production is not turning down all the way in line with, with complying with their pledge cutbacks. So m- more is needed on that front. Well, and as we talk about some of these individual companies, or companies, countries, uh, rather, how much power does OPEC plus, and then more specifically within that, Saudi Arabia have to influence prices at this point? Because I understand that, you know, they're trying to play a long game in terms of supporting the market here. But this isn't the first cut we have seen in the last 12 months. And none of those really seem to stick when it came to price influence. It's true. And I think the best kind of analogy that I'll use is it's sort of like a a game of of tug of war, like the rope pull between teams. And again, you've got you've got Riyadh and OPEC Plus on one hand that wants to to get a hold of market sentiment and reinforce that they are going to deliver stability. But on the other hand, and we see this in the managed money positions, for example, in the commitment of traders from the CFTC, is uh, these shorts that are accumulating positions uh, are, are sending a different signal, and they're they're really calling into question whether oil demand growth is going to be there the way. First of all, OPEC is forecasting, uh, and then on the bot, on the consuming side, the International Energy Agency. Both of those, the, the producers group and the consumers group, are calling for tighter balances, for deficits, for inventory draws uh, to take place later in the year, in the second half. But it really comes down to demand, right? And if if Chinese uh, economic recovery does not come through to power oil demand growth. If we get into a recessionary pullback, an economic pullback in the economies of the United States and, and Europe, um, then oil demand growth uh, plans will will, uh, will not come to fruition, yeah. will, will be questioned. So in that case, the, the shorts might be proven right. So that's, that's kind of the tug of war for market sentiment that's taking place right now. I think the organization for sure has an influential role to play. And we're going we're gonna to find out in the coming weeks who has the upper hand in this game of tug of war right now. Hey, Clay, we're out of time here, but I have to ask you, because we spoke with your colleague, Bob McNally, I believe it was two weeks ago here on the program. Uh, he was looking for $100 a barrel oil this year, $4 a gallon this summer. Are, are you in the same camp? Well, we are. We um, Our outlook does call for higher oil prices, including getting back to triple digits wow. later this year. That's on a fundamental analysis, looking at what we see as emerging deficits between supply and demand and big inventory draws 
So if those things come true, we will get back to $100 territory in crude and nationwide average prices for regular gasoline can get back up above $4 a gallon. I appreciate that it's already higher in some West Coast markets. And that's the politically sensitive zone in Washington on a regular year, let alone as we get spun up for an election campaign. Clay, thanks for uh, all the great info. Clay Siegel, Global Oil Service Director at Rapidan, $100 a barrel. Mm-hmm. What are the people selling today going to make of that, I wonder? It's <laughs> a good question. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. So what happened to the big rally here? I thought this was the big day. I was hearing about technical levels, the beginning of a bull market, Apple, all-time high. I'm Joe Matthew with Kaylee Lyons, and I'm confused. Me too. Okay. Um, You and me both. Did we give it up here, or we just rolled over? Yeah, we rolled over. The rolling over started... Kind of when sound on started. Ah, PM. This is suspicious, Joe. Talking the markets down. But yeah, we're flat on the NASDAQ 100. And Apple, after Mm. just formally introducing its mixed reality headset, uh, headset also briefly touched negative territory. We're now up just a tenth of 1%. So much for that innovation. Can I ask you before we bring in Jess Metton, would you ever wear that thing? Am I just for $3,000? I understand. Um, I'm not, I don't, I just, I don't don't get it. I think maybe I'm just officially too old for that. Yeah. I just, I don't know in what context I would use it. I think that's my, they see this as the future of computing. Like when you sit down at your, at your screen, you're wearing, you're wearing the headset. You're not looking at your computer anymore. Yeah, I guess. Living in a meta world. Are we going to have like a virtual reality terminal? Because that's basically the only thing I use a computer for these days. I'm just working. That would actually be really cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. To sort of go inside the terminal. It would be like watching Bloomberg TV because yeah. they think we all live in there. We're like Tron. <laughs> We're like the actors on Tron inside the computer. Mm-hmm. We should go talk to the bosses about that. Um, Jess, would you put that thing on? I, and, and for what? <laughs> I like Kaylee's idea about this virtual reality for the terminal. I feel right? like that would this be especially useful for all of us, right? We'd all live in like a black and yellow world. <laughs> we would. And to your point, Joe, obviously coming into today, everybody was talking about obviously as the S&P 500 intraday was trading, um, technically what would be 20% higher from that record low back in October. So putting into what some people would define as a bull market, but putting it in perspective, still the s and P 500 is about 12% away from its all-time high that it made in January of last year. Obviously, that what was helping the stock was when Apple was still higher earlier, uh, obviously during today, this afternoon, unfortunately, turning a little bit lower, as Kaylee was just talking about, as we're getting more details on this Vision Pro, this mixed reality headset that they're unveiling here but apple was trading at all-time highs intraday pulled back a little bit now its stock is flat but among apple that was one of the big movers that was obviously adding to the s p 500 yeah. as well as microsoft google but obviously some of these ai stocks that have been on a tear recently like like nvidia for instance that's actually lower today huh? yeah. yeah well i mean we can talk about the intraday but jess i just pulled up the year-to-date chart of apple Still up 39%. Right. I mean, is this just a, like, safety play? Back it is. to growth. What explains this? Well, part of it is, and it was trading at a 19-month low coming into this year, so quite a big rebound there. But to your point, when it comes to this type of safety type trade, a lot of that, especially when we think back to March, right, what was happening with those banking stresses, there was that flight to the sort of tech 
growth type of haven trade. And that really helped Apple, which is obviously looked upon as when you think of the type of cash flow that that company has, as well as other big old tech type companies, Microsoft as well, right? And those have really held up. So I think once we got into the spring and obviously what was happening with some of those bank stresses that really helped lift tech in particular this year. I woke up this morning to this headline. I believe it was 10 points to a new bull market. <laughs> uh, did, did we cross that level? And what the heck? So the technicals don't matter uh, today, I guess. Well, of course, you need to hold above that level for, level for it to work. Well, the actual level for... If the S&P 500 closes at or above, it would be 4292.44. So that would be the 20% the level from the October lows. Okay. Uh, but the, someone in my conversations with my sources, they were thinking that's kind of more of a minor level of support. And there's not really, when you're thinking about the economic calendar or the earnings calendar too much this week, because investors, as you know, Joe, are looking ahead to the Fed's two-day meeting next week, obviously with that decision on the 14th. But the 13th, we also get CPI. But I think more important, Importantly, beyond even just this 20% threshold bulls toward of level for the S&P 500, they're actually, when I'm speaking with technicians, they're looking at 43.25. It was the intraday high on August 16th of last year, which has still served as resistance. So there could be a little bit more room there for the S&P 500 to run. But obviously, uh, the NASDAQ 100 in particular and tech stocks have been on a tear, as Kaylee knows, the past couple of weeks. Well, and Joe, when we're looking at individual stocks, obviously Apple rolled over, but Disney actually just got a little bit of a lift, arguably because of Apple, because Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, came oh, on stage at Apple's event. They're partnering on the content for this headset, apparently. Disney Plus will be available on the Apple Vision Pro, and Disney just kind of touched positive territory. Right. It's now essentially flat. It seems to be kind of the theme now is flatness, but there So you it's go. all coming together now. Now we <laughs> will be able to be Tron inside the computer wearing Animated the headset. versions of ourselves. Prescient segment here, Jess. <laughs> And you know what? Disney has been a stock that has not performed quite as well as some of the portfolio managers that I know had been hoping for. So maybe this is a way in that could potentially, obviously we're seeing that Kaylee's point, it's that stock, if ticker symbol TDIS, is up close to 5% in intraday trading. So if it uh, continues on that, it beats highest close, uh, best percentage day gain since December of 2020. I just wonder just how we should be thinking about broadly the the picture. We've obviously come out of an earnings season. It's going to pick back up again in about a month. And I noticed the Morgan Stanley research out in the last 24 hours talking about earnings falling 16%. And yet we're also talking about the S&P 500 right here on the verge of a bull market. Does that make sense? So Gina Martin-Adams at Bloomberg Intelligence has a lot of great data. And her and her team have pointed out is when you take energy out of the S&P 500, the earnings growth has actually been in a recession since the second quarter of last year. So energy was actually masking the more of the weakness last year just because that was a sector that obviously benefited from inflation and how that translated to commodity prices. Now it's sort of the opposite effect this year to where if you're looking at that and excluding energy for the S&P 500, the earnings growth is actually much stronger looking in this back half of this year and double digits growth a year from now. So that's mm. something that you kind of have to square away when you are looking at some of these expectations from this strategist on Wall Street. Is the crude oil story uh, getting any attention today on Wall Street? I ask you that with only a minute left, Jess, because we just spent quite a bit of time talking about this emergency production cut, or surprise, I should say, a production cut from OPEC that seems to be falling flat. 
Right. So we did see a bigger move when it came to energy stocks this morning based on that. Now you're looking at where U.S. oil prices are trading around $72 a barrel. But if you want to look at particular names, ExxonMobil in particular had been up earlier today as well as Chevron. Now you're looking at those stocks kind of giving up those gains as well as Occidental Petroleum. So those had been up about 1%, 2% higher now as you're seeing energy and you're looking at crude prices in particular pulling back. That's obviously weighing a little bit on yeah, energy stocks as well, Joe. There. Hey, Jess, thanks for coming on. It's great to talk to you. Jess Menton, Bloomberg Deputy Team Leader and Equities Reporter. We're getting the management on now, Kaylee. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, this show is reaching new heights every day. <laughs> With Kaylee Lines, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all. All of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.